0: Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. All right. True Crime Uncensored. Welcome to the show. I am the legendary Burl Bear. That's Mark C.G. Boyer. Fact-checker extraordinaire and co-host. Produced by one of the strangest men in the history of broadcasting. Magic Matt Allen. <clears throat> hey, to you see that uh, Fred Shadow Stevens is in the... Radio Hall of Fame. Matt and I are in the Rock and Roll Radio Hall of Fame. By the way, it's about about stick and time. Yeah. You and I are in the Rock and Roll Radio Hall of Fame, one of the lesser known halls of fame. In fact, I think you and I are the only two people who know about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think uh, there's one other, some some chick from MTV. She knew about it? Yeah. Sandy Hamilton, I think, is there, too. Battle Day and Dick Curtis, all the Seattle heroes are in the Rock and Roll Radio Hall of Fame. Not quite as prestigious as Shadow being in the Real Radio Hall of Fame. <laughs> uh, congratulations Hi. to Shadow. Has our guest called in yet? Yeah, yes, he, he has. is. He's there. Hey, Ron. Hey, Ron Chipsick. I was on Ron's show Friday. <laughs> he's on show. and he's uh, Thursday. Thursday, Friday. That's but we've,
1: weird. We've become an item.
0: Yeah, they're talking about us now. Seen holding hands on the subway. Across two flying platforms. Across <laughs> two flying platforms. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I was on his show talking about Secrets of Hollywood Private Eye. Got you back again today. You got so many books out, so many exciting things going on. I get confused.
1: <laughs> Can, Are we on the air? Yo, yeah, we're on the air now. You're oh, a hero. That's great. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I, I'm confused, man. <laughs> you can't even keep track of your think, own I was projects. I about that today, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. I've got, like, right now, it's just an exciting part. I mean, uh, for my career right now, I've got so many things going on. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go to the next level, so I'm really excited about it.
0: Well, you got this TV series that's, uh, well, if you can read subtitles, and our audience is not yeah. totally illiterate.
1: Uh. Yeah, this is, uh, this, is uh, this is why I'm on the show, and um, yeah, and I've watched it. It's it's great. It's 15 episodes, the first season. Yeah, it's going to be two seasons. Uh, there's 30 episodes, wow. and it's going to deal with Carl Slater. It's a true story, of course, fictionalized for TV, of course, but it's. Um, well, they didn't make him right.
0: a cartoon mouse, did they?
1: <laughs> <laughs> cartoon mouse.
0: Well, that's what do you a, mean? That's a little inside little joke when I was pitching "Man Overboard" as a TV series to Anthony Spinner, who was producer of Return of the Saint. He said, how about if we change this, and we change this, and we change this? It was all stereotypical, cliche stuff. And, <laughs> you know, just stuff you see all the time. Took all the twists and turns and straightened them out. So I turned to the real-life Phil Champagne, and I said, what do you think? And he goes, I don't care if they make me a cartoon mouse, as long as they write me a check. <laughs>
1: That's the most important thing. That's right on that. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, we got the series. Uh, the last time I was on, we talked about um, Bad Henry. You know, the the, the bad dude from. Uh,
0: well, yeah, he was a Travis. real jerk. That taco Taco Bell strangler. Yeah, he was.
1: he, he had got killed him. his life to think about it on death row on, yeah. in uh, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. That's where he is for the last twenty seven years.
0: <laughs> yeah, killed him in a guacamole. It was no
1: good. Yeah, uh, that thing. but. Uh, and we get a live, a live candidate this time, Carlos Later, uh, the, uh, uh, the drug kingpin upon whom my book is based. Which
0: book is it? I, I get think. confused between that one and, uh, and the real Mr. Big. Which one is which?
1: Well, you got, you got Carlos Later, that's Crazy Charlie. Oh, Crazy Charlie. Uh, uh, and then you got uh, Bad Henry, the murderous rampage of the Taco Bell Strangler. And uh, Bad Henry is a serial killer book. And um, Carl's, uh, uh, Crazy Charlie is an organized crime book.
0: And then the Mr. Big was the uh, guy from Columbia who became oh, yeah. the, right. the biggest right. cocaine guy bit. in England. Yeah, I yeah, always get yeah, that was, uh, Crazy uh, Charlie confused.
1: Yeah, he was the biggest drug dealer in um, in British, a uh, cocaine dealer in British uh, uh, history, uh, uh, first billionaire, first billion dollar cocaine kingpin, and uh, he was uh, busted in uh, 2004 and spent uh, about 17 years in jail. And then when I met him, and um, we hooked up, and uh, did, yeah, the, did,
0: uh, did he take care of you? Did, <laughs> how was this product?
1: <laughs> how was what? How
0: was his product?
1: Oh, I, I don't deal with that shit. Man. I know, I, I am <laughs> just giving you a bad time. I know, I'm too busy. <laughs> well, if
2: they had enough customers, and that's all. That yeah, matters. they had plenty of customers,
0: no doubt. And when then after a, yeah.
2: his arrest and the dismantlement of his organization. Yeah, Well, you know, he, yeah, yeah, he had
1: 20,000 20, people working for him, laundering his money.
0: No, the amazing
1: yeah. thing so is, year. he was
0: such a good businessman, he could have been running AT&T. He could have been running anything.
1: Well, that's what they say about most big-time kingpins—that they have this business savvy. I mean, uh, uh, Ike Atkinson, the subject of my book, Sergeant Smack, one of the district attorneys. That's exactly what he said about him. He said he could have ran any Fortune 500 country in the, in the uh, company in the in the country. You know, Frank Matthews was another one. He was he was a brilliant yeah, and
0: he sounded like uh, what's his name, the boxer. Uh, you know, like to this. that? Uh, Oh, who's with the, with the boxer with the high voice? The uh, that would be. Um,
1: oh, his, uh, oh, Mike Tyson. Mike yeah. Tyson, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mike Tyson, right, right. <laughs> of course, nobody told him he had a high voice.
0: No, they didn't dare.
1: <laughs> but he disappeared.
0: <laughs> yeah, Frank Matthews, he just vanished.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, I was on the uh, air the other day on um, on Gangster Report, and we were talking about that. They insist that the mafia had something to do with it, and I keep telling him there's no evidence that the mafia had anything to do with it. I mean, I talked to the two biggest uh, uh, um, marshals that that were investigating Matthews. They were trying to find him, and they never, They said that they wrote off the mafia early on that. But
0: uh, I mean, well, how many? I mean, he took all his money out of the safe deposit box and. Got a train ticket to last train to Clarksville, and he never saw him again.
1: Well, you know, he's supposed to have fled with twenty million dollars, which is like ninety million dollars in today's in today's currency. On that, and uh, that could be a reason why he was killed. I mean, uh, you know, he was supposedly left the country, and uh, he was out of his element. He was out of his hood, and uh, he could easily have been, uh, you know, whacked and uh, the money taken.
0: Yeah, I didn't do it, but somebody might have. Yeah, right. Yeah. He doesn't write home anymore, so chances are, he met an untimely devise. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. Do, does he, do you get a certain thrill with your chances are? A certain thrill. chances are, yeah. Now it amazes me that that uh, our buddy uh, Jesus uh, Ruiz, you uh, know, uh, he, uh, he only got seventeen years.
1: Yeah, and that, you know this is interesting. Uh, I asked him one of the questions I asked him was, you know, why didn't he go to the states? Right, like most drug traffickers from Colombia, they use the market. He said at an early. This is how smart he was at an early uh, stage. He said that he realized that the DA and the U.S. government was a lot tougher on drug traffickers than um, than the British government. And that, they, that the laws were tougher and the sentences were tougher. And he said that was one of the reasons why he decided not to not to uh, go the U.S. route and went to Britain.
0: That was smart of him. He only did 17 yeah. years.
1: Yeah. And did he, he get like, to uh, and that? And to top it off, uh, bro. he also, uh, when he was in prison, he trafficked. Uh, more I'm not surprised. And, and they found out about it, and uh, he he got a, like a slap in the wrist on that. And I guess they just wanted to get rid of him, so they uh, deported him once once he got out of prison back to Columbia.
0: And he still had millions and billions of dollars?
1: No. He doesn't have. He doesn't have uh, hardly anything. In fact, he had to borrow some money off me. <laughs> Wait,
0: for a pack of smokes, that. that's amazing. Yeah, I think yeah, most I mean, of these uh, guys. Yeah. You know,
1: the, the government gets most of the money. I mean, uh, they, they, they squeeze the, uh, uh, the traffickers, they squeeze their people. You know, the lawyers. that... you know, he's probably got some something stashed somewhere. On uh, you know. Well, that somehow. always
0: amazes me. We you know because we do all this research on these guys that are making millions or billions of dollars, and yet. Where the hell is the money? It, it turns
1: out at the end of their lives they don't have it. Uh, that's right. I, I don't know that's whether right. they spend and it. It was like, it was like Ike, Ike Atkinson, you know, my, my sergeant Smackbook, uh, the big drug dealer from um, that uh, imported uh, drugs from uh, Asia. Now uh, he, he had to survive on his pensions. He had two pensions: military pension and um, and um, uh, 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 government pension, and they totaled about twenty five thousand dollars, and that's what he lived on. You know, if he lived on, I asked him. I said, "Where's all your money?" And he said, "Government got it." You know, he said they they squeezed my lawyer, and um, for reduced sentence, uh, he he gave up all the accounts.
0: It's amazing. Uh, You you wonder, like W. C. Fields used to open bank accounts all over America under fake names and stash his money there. You he'd get it someday. Can remember
1: what the <laughs> names were. <laughs> no one knows. He was a, he was a drunk anyway, so uh, you know he probably didn't uh, remember the names.
0: Yeah,
2: there's a term in the financial industry called a yeah. sheetment. They'll so call what a sheetment?
0: A sheetment? Never escheatement. heard of
2: What's it. Attack the the listed name or power of attorney names on an account. Each, uh, each financial institution, each fiduciary has its own regulations. Savings as loans is different than banks, is different than insurance companies. They're all uh, financial inter- intermediaries. But when an account goes dormant, it gets a sheeted. And it's almost always to the state in which the account was, uh, was, belongs to. So yeah, California I would get you. it. And the money sits for X number of years. It's all state regulated. So some states are more, and some states are less. And then, when the achievement is reaches its time limit, the money goes to state, and you're out of luck. Well, that's swelled.
1: Well, you know, I, I've got a I got an account in Canada, which I I haven't used for like six years, and I like I, they just count and take <laughs> if I still have it there and take it back to states with me.
2: And there's also a dirty little secret within the banking industry. Yes, tell us the yeah. dirty secret. And that, and that's that years ago now, yeah. probably, or more. That well, you, you, have, the- you have a, uh, a minimum depository requirement. Yeah. $650, 1000 1500 whatever it is. And if the drops below penalized, <laughs> and if the account is dormant, the penalties keep accruing, happening until there's no money left. Really, and the bank keeps it.
0: And the bank keeps it. Keeps it. Well, that's lovely
2: because, uh, because so, by hang on, uh, this is now forty years ago. I had uh, I had uh, relatives out in Fontana, and there was a open your child's account, and we'll put two hundred dollars in the account to start the kids off. So, my cousin took the kidlets, and they opened two accounts, and they deposited $200, and the kids put in 100 each from their piggy banks. The bank did not tell any of the parents that there was a $500 minimum depository requirement, and neither did the tellers say, oh, there's a charge if it's below $500. And so, what happened it was a twenty eight dollar and fifty cent charge, and so the the if you didn't go back for a couple of months, you're now down a hundred bucks oh no so the, <laughs> oh no my cousin went to the uh went to the d a uh and the bank refunded everyone's money apologized.
0: Sounds like Wells Fargo.
1: <laughs> uh, I was, was going to so say uh, so Wells that. Fargo, where they open the account in your name and you don't see the money.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. They got caught doing that
1: again. Yeah, uh, Yeah. right. I mean, they're so crooked. I mean, banks.
0: You can't lie straight uh, in bed.
1: Yeah. Well, it's,
0: it's scary on my personal note, my beloved you figure, ex...
1: You figure it in these banks, it must, be, it must be millions of dollars. Well,
0: on a personal note, my beloved ex-wife, who unfortunately got early onset Alzheimer's, cashed out my daughter's first IPO-issued Microsoft stock with a current value of $3.5 million and has no idea what she did with the money, no idea where it is or what she did with it.
1: And she won't be. And, and she doesn't know? I mean, uh, she, I guess she's... Alzheimer's taking its toll.
0: Uh, it took its toll. It. She knew, she remembered that she cashed, illegally cashed out my daughter's stock, <laughs> but no one knows what happened to it. So my daughter, unfortunately, is down $3.5 million in money that was her little nest egg that's gone. No way of...
1: Isn't it great to be broke? Yeah. Isn't it great to be broke? You don't have such worries as that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't have to worry about taking care of the money.
1: Right, right. So,
0: okay, so getting yeah. back to this TV show, it's on what the Viz Network. That's on Roku, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's on on Vix. Uh, Vix, i go. I've, got, I've got it on my channel. I've got, I've got, uh, I got a little dinky uh, cable uh, network here in my little dinky town in uh, South Carolina, and they carry it. They carry Vix. Uh, it's uh, six dollars a month or thirty-six dollars a year um, subscription, and uh, it's doing quite well. Uh, I thought. It took me about, I guess, about three episodes a day for about five days on that, and uh, it's a telenovela. It's like you know, it's like typical Latin type uh, soap opera.
0: But it know? does have and English subtitles, done. right? Because I I have that
1: oh, network yeah. on Roku. English, it has English subtitles on, on that, and uh, it's uh, you know, it's an action uh, action movie uh, or TV series. So it's it, it's it's really interesting. Did you get and, to uh, write I any of it? Did, did you get it. to consult on it? Yeah. I consulted on it. Um, I talked with the uh, the lead actor, um, uh, Sebastian Osario, a young a young kid. He's twenty four. He played the, the young uh, uh, Carlos later, and uh, he, he took my brain for about an hour about uh, the character and all that. He liked the book, and yeah, um, he, uh, he, he's really really intelligent, and I think he's fantastic in this role. He does a really, he's an amazing job. He's about twenty five now, I guess, because I, I met him in um, uh, in in August of last year. So um,
0: did they change a lot from the true story? Did they, you know, add a bunch of weird stuff? Yeah, in? you know,
1: uh, they did. They did. They, uh, the thing about it is, and I, you know, I've I've, I've adapted uh, books to screenplays, so I've, I'm not upset about it. Like a lot of people, a lot of writers would get, you know, about, oh, they changed my story and all that. But uh, yeah, they they made later a little softer. You know, they don't they don't deal with any of his racism. And, and Nazi attitudes that he had. Oh, good. You know, his father had a big influence on his life, and he was a German, uh, you know, German uh, Nazi. And uh, uh, they, they cut him out. They had, like, one scene with him in the movie, so they didn't deal with the influence on, on Carlos. And then uh, he was very political. You know, he organized a, a party called the Latin um, um, Movement and um, uh, in, 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 um, in uh, Colombia to uh, help... Uh, put off uh, extradition, you know, to help fight extradition. And they don't deal with any of that in the um, early part. He's more of a lover, you know, where he's dealing with uh, all kinds of affairs. Well, they probably that.
0: wanted to make him a semi-sympathetic, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. You know, he's sort of a roguish character, you know, sort of a, rather than a nasty character. And uh, but, but The, the money's the same, it,
0: though. Whether they make him a rogue or a nasty bastard, you still get paid.
1: Well, I did get paid uh, early, too. <laughs> Yeah. I mean really early, and uh I had all kinds of problems with my accountant uh kind of figured I had to get a new accountant because the old accountant couldn't uh couldn't deal with the uh, in, in influx of money and the complications of a of uh, receiving money from a foreign country and all that and um so i had to had to pay some but yeah they they did a tremendous job i I really liked uh dealing with them I'm going back in September again i've got another that uh, Jesus book, right? Uh, I'm, uh, they're still interested in that book too. Uh, although they, they put a moratorium on crime shows, whatever that means. And so I'm hoping that uh, they they uh, decide to uh, option um, uh, the Real Mr. Big, you know, as a book. We'll see.
0: Yeah, what you should do is uh, there's a character stealing Manhattan, Carl, <laughs> Carlos Medina, uh, who was the uh, uh, was well, the first guy from the uh, Home Security who decided to work with the high skies instead of against them <laughs> and uh you could go at it from that angle you could do the screenplay we'll all make money
1: <laughs> yeah on that then yeah the thing is um uh, in the contract i was supposed to write um an episode on that but it had to be in in spanish and i and um, my writing my spanish is not is not that good so i i declined uh, to do it on that but um but I get credit. Every episode begins with acknowledgement that the that the the series is based on my book, inspired by my book, Ron Jepson. So that's oh. great. Uh, you know. And um, hey, is your book uh, available
0: what? in Spanish? Is there a Spanish translation no, no. of your
1: book? No, it's not. It's not available in Spanish. Uh, why would you want it in Spanish? You want it in English, don't you?
0: Well, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I maybe mean, a lot of my books have been translated in other languages. You should have a. Your your book's uh, sold to a, you know someone who translates to yeah, Spanish.
2: Yeah, I found yeah, the uh,
0: the hier- the Egyptian hieroglyphics version was fascinating. <laughs> I'll tell you, um, my same uh, book that I did for Paramount with the Revel Val Kilmer film, uh, it was done into uh, uh, French, uh, uh, what do you call it? Chinese, Japanese, Hebrew. Now I took Hebrew when I was a kid. And I took went to Hebrew school. The only thing yeah. I recognized in the Hebrew version of the saint was my name on the cover. <laughs> and that, and that, that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I,
0: I called my agent yes, yeah. and I said, how much money do I get for these foreign editions? And she looked up the contract. She said, you get you get four free copies of the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and wow, gee, thanks.
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but... Uh you know, it, it worked out. It worked out well, and uh, and they uh, took care of me and didn't have to haggle over the money or wait for it. You know, and, uh, because because we signed last year, and uh, they they did the um, uh, the series thirty episodes by the end of December. Wow! So yeah, they were really moving along, and that that, that, that that's that's just production. Then they, then they had to do like four months of uh, post production, right? You know, where they where they polish it up and all that. And I, I was there. I saw the pilot. Which is really fascinating. Uh, you have later, right, he's in prison, supposedly in Miami, and uh, he's getting out. He's sitting in a prison cell, and you look on his lap, and there's my book. <laughs> 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 you know, I said, "Wow!" Well, I said, how's that for publicity? So anyways, the third scene, he's on the plane uh, with his daughter, uh, evidently. I mean, it looks like his daughter. And uh, he, uh, he looked down on his lap, and there's my book again.
0: Hey, super.
1: <laughs> I know. So it was, was kind of funny, you know, in that respect. On that.
0: But, you know, uh, my, my nephew, Lee Goldberg, uh, you know, who's doing quite well, although the fact that you know, if you saw it on the news, uh, his home, someone targeted his home for a home invasion robbery. He's sitting, yeah? at, he's sitting at home, and his uh, motion sensors go off. And he looks out, the window, and there are these guys, you know, uh, in ninja outfits. In ninja outfits coming up the hill behind oh, they, his house to rob him. Fortunately wow. They they see him on the phone to the cops through the window. And they turn around and, and go the other direction. But, uh, wow! When you know he used to write, uh, you know, Spencer I for was hire. In a movie. Yeah, he used to do you know Spencer for Hire, Diagnosis Murder. And He always used to sneak into the uh, TV shows the family name he'd have like a law firm named b bear and sons and stuff like that you know, little inside jokes for the family all the time just to get a
1: kick out of that yeah that's, that's really that's really interesting but he must have thought he was in a movie
0: yeah it's <laughs> just one thing to write these uh you know crime yeah. books which he's you a know, very successful author. He's got some brand new books out right now called Malibu Burning.
1: And, that, and, that, and that's so prosaic. I mean, he must have thought he was in a bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And he wasn't the hero either. <laughs> I
1: know. And that's it. But that's good. Yeah, that's just interesting. On that.
0: So, uh, man, how do you keep track of all this stuff? Now, do you have an agent, or do you have to handle all this stuff yourself? Well, I had an agent,
1: but I, but uh, we parted ways. He wasn't very good on on the screenplay. He was he was okay on books, but he wasn't. Uh Good on screenplays. I, I sent him a screenplay. I said, "I did this," uh, and uh, he says, uh, "I got I got a recommend for one of the coverage services." And he said, "Great, I'll, I'll file it away." Oh yeah, so thanks I, a lot. Ready, you know, that's, that's really great. So I, I got uh, we parted ways, and I'm using this uh, book um, and TV series uh, to, uh, to get a, a really top notch uh, agent. I've got a producer that's that's working on a on a, a proposal where he's going to pitch me. I say, "I've got a I've got a, a script on on uh, later." And a TV series, a pilot. So he's going to pitch that plus me uh, to uh, one of the top eight, top agencies in the, um, in the country. I, I'm going to see what happens.
0: Well, that's that. good. You remember Howard Lupita's former co-host of the show here? Uh, yeah. Uh, to the fortunately passed away. He was uh, my manager. He always gave a great piece of advice. Because we're always getting, you know, approached for a TV series or a TV movie based on a book. You say, well, you know when you've got it. Is when you've cooked the popcorn and you're sitting in front of the TV set and you're watching the show. That's when you know you got the deal. <laughs> because <laughs> until then, anything could go wrong.
1: Yeah, you're wrong. You're right. You're right. I mean, um, the the the. the the uh, false starts I've had with some of my scripts oh, and yeah. some of my books. You know, I've had I've had like five books option, and, and nothing works out. I mean, just nothing works out. And, you know, that's that's part of the nature of Hollywood. I mean, there's more misses than there are hits. And, uh, you know, you look at The Departed. It took like nine years to get made. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, gang, the Gangs of New York took like three decades, I think. And you're talking about Martin Scorsese, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, hey, I'll uh, tell you. We, so, uh, yeah. You see,
0: we were doing one called The Saint in New Orleans, uh, Bill McDonald and I. James Purefoy was the star. We were already in pre-production in New Orleans on this wow. uh, two-hour TV movie pilot for a series. You know, I'm, I'm already in my head. I'm, I'm spending the money, right? And our, our star says, oh, by the way, if this goes to series, I'm only doing 13 episodes. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, James. We're all looking at seven years for syndication. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right, right. I mean, m- 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 most of the time they they want they want five years.
0: Yeah, and then you bam! Know? All of a sudden, it goes. We have to close down production. We had that was it. It was done.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's that's really that's a bad uh, bad anecdote. <laughs> bad anecdote. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, if I get into that far, I, I, I don't want that to happen. So, but I've got I've got like four four scripts that are. That are been optioned that are moving towards production, and uh, if I they all hit, I'm going to be. I don't know what I'm going to do.
2: Well, yeah, I don't. But, uh, I wouldn't expect much for the next couple of months. Yeah, of
1: and course. So, then again, yeah. you're working uh, well, be, uh, you're you're working are, it uh, it depends, in another country. It depends, it depends. I've got I've got one one script that's uh, been optioned by a Canadian production company. And they asked me for a character list, so they're going to go after the actors. And I asked them that question. I said, you know, I said, what about the strike? And all that. They go, it doesn't affect us. We're, we're Canadian. Yeah. You know, we're, we're affiliated with, with the Americans and all that, but we don't, uh, we, you know, we, it doesn't affect us. So we're moving along on that. Yeah, same kind and, of situation
0: uh, is uh, work with um, uh, Matthew Berkowitz uh, on a Stealing Manhattan uh, documentary. Yeah. And uh, the reason we're going with the documentary is because of the writer's strike and the actor's. You know, when you're doing a documentary, it's a different ballgame.
1: So, yeah, you know, your book. Um, when you were on there, I was thinking about. Uh, I said, this would make a great uh, TV series. Oh, it would. It you would know, where, where you have one story. You know, the, the 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 Ron Wood story with the diamond-studded jeans. Oh, that's
0: yeah, Secrets of a Hollywood Private Eye. Yeah,
1: right, right. <laughs> and uh, you know, have 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 him have Wolfson as the as the uh, the protagonist. You know, and and do a series of you know. Uh, of uh, cases
0: that he that he solved. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's a uh, uh, it would make a great series, and uh, Stealing Manhattan would make a great uh, great one uh, also. So what so what are you doing about it? Well, that, Matthew Berkowitz is our guy in New York, and uh, he's working on it right now. So hopefully uh, we'll right. all keep our fingers crossed and pray to the TV gods, and uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: hopefully it'll well, all work out. What does Mr. Berkowitz? Uh, what, what, is he an agent
0: or uh, he's a producer? Oh, a producer! Yeah, you'll see his name shows up on some some interesting shows. Uh, yeah, uh,
1: well, I, I've seen the name. I've seen the name. Yeah. On, on he, that actually,
0: show. he uh, he is the, he is the fellow I call him "Son of Cinema." He's the first guy to do an artsy, craftsy film. You know, like for his uh, senior thesis sort of thing. You know, a lot of directors will do a their first film will be pretty artsy. You know, yeah, and not make money, but it'll you know shows their talent. His is the first one. To do a wide release and make money hand over fist. Yeah. <laughs> this is several years <laughs> ago, so that really got him going. Plus, uh, I think his wife his wife works for it's Netflix, which question. is a good a deal. That's
1: a crazy question, bro. <laughs> but is he related to David Berkowitz? <laughs> no, that's
0: why we call him Son of Cinema <laughs> instead of, Son of Sam. I think
1: he's
2: related to the Samuel
0: L. Bronkowitz. The, uh, <laughs> yes.
2: The Bronkowitz. Kentucky
0: Fried Movie. Producers. Kentucky Fried yeah. Movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't think so. So you got this yeah. great TV series. You can watch and make popcorn and go, gee, this is somewhat similar to my book.
2: And Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's in a yeah, language I don't yeah. know.
0: Yeah, and plus you even know the actor, which is great.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. well, I, yeah, I was on the set. It was, it was really amazing um, uh, to be on the set. Uh, I sat beside the director, and, and, and it was like episode 10. And uh, uh, they went through this uh, six times they shot the scene. It was like a minute. And I finally I turned to the director and I said, you know, wh- why are they why do they keep shooting this? Why are you keep shooting the same scene? He goes, they mispronounced the word. <laughs> yeah. on that and uh, it was like it was like five words in the whole scene. Yeah, you
0: know. Let's well, see when uh, that, when they made the movie Maverick, you know, with Bill Gibson, James Gardner, and Jodie Foster. Yeah. Uh, I wrote the the companion book to that on the making of the movie. So I'm sitting next to the director, Richard Dawson, there in the bath bathtub, yeah. and, Joe, and there's dialogue that goes back and forth. Well, I've got headphones on, and I'm way in the back uh, of the, the, the set, but I have a fairly good memory for dialogue. And the 140 people on set, who is the only person who realizes that Mel is leaving out an entire section of important dialogue and then giving the cue to Garner? for his next line. All right, that would be you. It would be me. And so I can't grandstand anything. So I have to go crawling through the set up to where the director is and whisper to him, Mel forgot the line about the loot in the boot. (laughs) And he goes, stop, stop and he had to go back and redo the whole thing. Afterwards, they said, Mr. Daughter, sir, I always called him Mr. Daughter, sir, which he got a kick right. out of. He said, I hope you don't mind. He goes, no, he says, thank God you told me. He says, well, otherwise we wouldn't have caught it until we went to do the editing. We would have had to call everybody back. You know, okay. he says, well, you saved us a fortune, but it's a good thing you whispered it. Otherwise, people would have been pissed off. Yeah. You
1: know, I whispered It's amazing it to about her. a movie. So many things to go wrong with it, right?
0: Yeah. What I a mean,
1: splendid
0: you know. family resemblance. <laughs> yes, what a splendid family resemblance. She says as she looks in the bathtubs. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was great working with those people. They were all so nice. Uh, Mel was great. You know, he told me something interesting. We were sitting in his trailer having some cappuccinos. And he goes, you know, he says, I can't drink alcohol. <laughs> I, said, I said, really, Mel? He says, yeah, he says, if I drink alcohol, I become the biggest ass in the world. He says, I say the stupidest things and just become a total jerk if I drink. He says, so well, I really got to be careful if I'm around alcohol.
1: Right, right, on that. Do you, know, yeah, yeah. You, you, you want to know anything about Carlos Later? About what? You know, you want to know anything about the, the uh, subject of the uh, TV series, Carlos later? who he was?
0: No. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm ignorant. Please elucidate us. Elucidate us. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, you know, he's, he's uh, Pablo Escobar. He's, he's right up to it, Pablo Escobar. Oh. And uh, he was the guy that uh, devised the transportation system that led to the mass uh, distribution of, of cocaine and led to the epidemic we had in the in the uh, uh, late 70s up until through the 90s of cocaine and uh, what he did was he had this island that he that he literally bought he spent he kicked everybody off uh, the island he intimidated them there was about a hundred people living on that island and uh, he set up shop and uh, he flew planes from Colombia they they stopped there they refueled and then they landed in, um, in, uh, in, uh, on um, air bases in Georgia and Florida, you know, uh, uh, remote uh, places that had landing strips and all that. And they landed there, and then they uh, distributed the uh, cocaine in trucks, and they went all over the country on that. And before that, they were usually using um, single individuals carrying you know, the, uh, the uh, cocaine on their bodies um, or in their bodies, and that was really small time. I mean, it took mm-hmm. a lot of people to move the drugs. And if you have the um, living on planes, you can imagine the quantity that could be distributed on, on there. And, and later got one out of four uh, kilos. He got paid for one out of the four kilos that he, that he distributed. And he became uh, quite early a billionaire, probably by the mid-'80s. You know? And uh, he was right up there with, with, with Pablo Escobar. And then um, when he got kicked off the island in 82, the, uh, he, he had corrupted the government. Uh, Lyndon Fiddling, the uh, prime minister, was on his payroll. Um, the DA got set up, and they put pressure on the bah- Bahamian government and uh, got him kicked off the, uh, uh, the island. He went back to Colombia and uh, started a, a political movement. Uh, he had a party uh, because the uh, Americans were putting pressure on Colombia to set up an extradition process. And, and to extradite some of the big, big gangsters back to the U.S. And that party was organized to stop the extradition movement. And it was going well until they assassinated Rodrigo Benilla, the justice minister, and then the Clinton government went nuts. And uh, the uh, Medellin cartel had to flee the country, and they ended up in, um, in uh, Panama. And then um, uh, the U.S. put pressure on, um, on Noriega, uh, who, had, who was giving him shelter, and uh, they were afraid that Noriega was going was gonna to turn them in, so they left there, and they went to uh, Nicaragua and the Sandinistas, and they hung around there for a while until the, the heat cooled, and then they returned back to, uh, to Colombia. But by then, you know, later's influence had waned, and uh, he was on drugs. You know, he was a, a big-time marijuana smoker, and uh, he used uh, cocaine, and he was crazy as well. That's why we, he got the nickname Crazy Charlie, on that, and um, yeah, he, he he ended up being a bodyguard for 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 um, uh, Escobar, but he was crazy, um, and he did all kinds of weird things, bringing publicity to the to the cartel. Mm. And uh, and they uh, and this is what I think. I think that Escobar set him up to be uh. busted, and and then um, uh, he was on a on a ranch in the in the Amazon partying, and uh, they busted him there, put him on a plane within a couple hours and I him on his way to the United States, this was 1987, and uh, he was uh, jailed in Jacksonville, and he was the first big time drug dealer from Latin America to be tried in the US.
0: Now, wasn't it Pablo Escobar, who when the heat first started coming down on him, went to the government and said, listen, I'll stop and I'll pay to put up all yeah. these rehab facilities.
1: Right, right. Actually, actually, he wanted to pay off the uh, the national debt. Yeah, and, uh, he even very... met he even met with uh, he even met with uh, Mitchelson, who was the prime minister of uh, or the president of, of Colombia uh, in, in in Panama. There was a meeting set up, and uh, they actually considered it. Uh, uh, you know, if if they dropped the charges, you know, gave him <laughs> gave him uh, immunity, and uh, he turned him down on that on that. I uh, thought see, that was I, a I heck I of an how offer. How much money they had?
0: I mean, he was going to pay off the national debt, set up rehab facilities all over the place, yeah. and, and go out of business. I thought that was a heck of an offer. I don't know why they didn't take
1: yeah, it. Yeah, but the U.S. put pressure on them. You know, the U.S. US put pressure on them to, uh, to, to to renege on the deal. I mean, not not to take it. Uh, because they wanted these guys, you know, uh, in jail. And, uh, and and they also didn't trust uh, the median cartel, because once a criminal, always a criminal you know, you're going to you're gonna give him this deal and who, who knows, he may, may eventually slip back into the business.
0: Now, yeah, well, are you familiar with Zoran Jacek? Doing 30 years Bye-bye. in Peru? No. He, he had all this, he uh, was shipping cocaine uh, on ocean liners. Billions of dollars uh-huh. to Europe. Mm-hmm. Now, he used to be, he used to use the alias of Peter Stadimirovic, claiming to be my buddy, uh, Pavle Stadomirovic's brother, and they t- mm-hmm. t- he used to work with Pavle doing in heighten. They were good buddies. And uh, uh, Zoran w- went on to become one of the biggest uh, cocaine uh, dealers in the world, actually shipping tons of it uh, on ocean liners in liquid form. And they finally they got him, and he managed to get out of uh, Europe or wherever it was, but they got him in Peru and uh, he's doing 30 years in uh, Peru. Turns out that yeah. uh, he almost escaped. They were digging him a tunnel. <laughs> right. But they, they caught the tunnel, and they this moved him. This
1: is the punch, uh, punch uh, connection, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's really interesting there. And he said he was going to put me in touch with somebody that he thought would be, would be an interesting book, but he's never gotten back to me on that.
0: Yeah, it was probably, uh, uh, probably uh, Zoran's uh, buddy, who's currently uh, in prison in New York, uh, his partner, uh, Grupo Americana. Uh, How long is he in for? What's that? How long is he in for? I don't think he's in for yeah. that long. Uh, in fact, we were going to go see him in New York and have a little chat with him. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, They go back uh, for years and years and years. In fact, when uh, uh, Bosco uh, Redovich or whatever, head of the Westies, uh, when he uh, split and went back to the old country, uh, Punch and Zoran... Uh, we're in charge of taking care of all of his financial interests and making sure he got his money sent to him.
1: <laughs> wow! On that. Uh, how did, Punch, did uh, Punch get out of it uh, relatively unscathed?
0: Well, he, he did do uh, he did do prison time.
1: Unfortunately, yeah, he was... I know. He, right, but it, it was uh, short compared to what he was involved with, right?
0: Well, yeah. Well, thing is, what's what's tragic from his perspective is he had a great attorneys, and he was only they got him on two heists. Uh, the, ...for which he assumed names... ...but when all was said and done... ...he was going to get six months... ...because after all it was only third degree burglary... No, ...no violence, no guns involved... ...and on third degree burglary... ...it doesn't matter whether it's a $500... ...arc welder or millions of dollars... ...in diamonds... ...it's still <laughs> third degree burglary... ...he was going to do six months... ...unfortunately he got into a, a car chase... ...with some uh, Albanian gangsters... ...crashed his car... And out of the glove box came his real ID. He had plenty of fake ones, but his real ID. And he had a failure to appear when he was 19 years old in New Jersey for a crime he did not commit. And that opened up all this other stuff. And he wound up doing, I think, 17 years. He did a little extra because he refused to rat out anyone. Yeah, he wouldn't rat out anybody. If he would have ratted out everybody, he would have walked free, but he wouldn't rat on anybody.
1: That's that's, uh, uh, minor compared to what Carlos later got. Later got, life was 135
0: years. (laughs) Well, are you familiar with Freeway Ricky Ross? You are in L.A.? Yeah, right. He was on my show. Yeah, he's been on my show a couple of times. Nice guy. You know, first they gave him life. Then they gave him 25 years. Then they let him out because the Freeway Ricky Ross task force, which put him away, was more corrupt than he was. (laughs) <laughs> so my, I want to let him out. One of my favorite
2: Twilight Zone episodes is Burgess Meredith. Well yeah,
0: all the time in the world.
2: no, not that one. And not that one, no, not that one he uh the the devil comes to him because he's hates his life, hates his wife, hates everything and and you know the devil says, "Well, how about immortality?" <laughs> and he says, oh, okay with me." what can they do to me i'm gonna mortal and so he tosses his wife off the top of their building and when he goes to sentencing the judge imposes life in prison <laughs> without the possibility <laughs> of parole. parole
0: immortality which is what i needed <laughs> and
2: the devil comes and
0: off they go off <laughs> they go yep Best laid
2: plans for yep.
0: mice and life haters. That's right. More tears are shed over answered prayers than unanswered prayers. Right. Be careful what you ask for. You're liable to get it.
1: Yeah. Later spent 33 years in uh, jail. They gave him life plus 135. And then when he Noriega he, he testified in, in uh, return for a reduced sentence. He didn't get what he wanted. He got uh, he wanted to get thirty years, which would have allowed him to get out maybe in ten years. But he got fifty five years, which which kept him in as long as his, his um, prison sentence uh, was for. And then uh, he went nuts. He uh, he wrote a letter to the judge in ninety five, and the judge took it as a threat. And the court just and so they took later and and and, uh, and and put him in the uh, uh, WITSEC, which is the um, federal law witness protection program for prisoners. And he disappeared, which, of course, created conspiracy theories, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, there, there's all kinds of rumors. I was getting calls from people, uh, you know, wanting to do me to verify that he was working for the CIA, <laughs> you know.
0: Oh, yeah, and, they're going to tell uh, you. I, I,
1: yeah. Well, I kept telling you, I said, the guy, the guy was around in 87. What, what the hell would he know about drug trafficking today? I mean, it's ridiculous and all that. And, uh, and then um, in about 2006, he sued the government. And uh, he, he said that they, they reneged on their deal. He was supposed to go to Germany, uh, you know, after uh, he testified against uh, Noriega and all that. And then, uh, and then he, there was a thing in 2016 with the Colombian president saying that he was thinking about uh, they were thinking about uh, transferring later back to Colombia. And then there was nothing more about that. And then all of a sudden, on June 17, 2020, he was released, and they said that uh, he was released because of. Uh, a humanitarian uh, reason, uh, yeah. re- really sick. And then, <laughs> this is really hilarious. Early this year, there was this woman who claimed that she had written a book with later, his um, uh, autobiography and all that. And she was on this Colombian radio show. And uh, the host, uh, she was telling him how she wrote the book with Haley and all that. And so um, the host said, well, just a second, uh, we have someone on the line. And who comes on the line but Carlos later, <laughs> <laughs> You know, and uh, and he goes nuts. You know, he, he says, this woman's lying and all this. And she keeps insisting that, that he wrote the book with her. And he gets it. <laughs> Don't annoyed. you remember? and, and, and remember Howard yeah, Hughes and, and Clifford Irving? The, same right, story. Yeah. And, and then... Uh, you know, I I remember seeing the book on on the internet. I, I looked it up, and then and then it disappeared. I don't know what happened to the woman. There's nothing on her. But she probably anything, disappeared too. <laughs> I know. It, it was funny as hell on that. But he said he said in the interview that uh, he's got a documentary coming out uh, later this year on that. And he couldn't see any more about it. He said, but he said it's supposed to be coming out. Which would be interesting um, on that. I don't know what he's doing in Germany. I, I tried to get him to cooperate with my with my project, with the script, and we've sent, we sent we sent him, his lawyer in, in Miami, we sent his lawyer uh, the screenplay, the book, and uh, sort of a proposal, and never heard anything back from him, which is understandable. Yeah, which is good. <laughs> the screenplay wasn't very favorable. but you know, <laughs> well, that's the thing I was know.
0: thinking of approaching his... Uh, <laughs> a uh, fellow uh, who's currently in prison in New York who uh, is the other half of Grupo Americana who's mentioned uh, in Stealing Manhattan and say, listen, uh, cooperate on this and you know we'll make you look like Robert Redford in the movie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make you a lot nicer than you really are. <laughs> right. He could be that. He was a what, nice guy anyway. He just happened to be a certain kind of criminal. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, it's, it's still one of those Serbian names that I've pronounce. uh Yeah.
1: I got I got I brush gotta, I, I up on this Serbian connection. It's pretty, it's interesting that you're dealing with.
0: Yeah, it is uh interesting it was, as mentioned in the book, uh there was an effort uh, to start a like a Serbian mafia in New York doing uh, the kind of stuff the mob tends to do like extortion, you know, stuff right. like that. And this gentleman started to start it and uh uh one of the first people that was victimized Called Mr. Stan that's Punch's dad, and said, "Can't you make them yeah, stop?" Right. And so he calls Bosco uh, back in Serbia, back in the old country, and they talked man to man. And Bosco said, "Yeah, they, I'll tell them to stop." And they did stop. You know, they had enough respect for Bosco and Mr. Stan that when he said, "No, we don't need that here in New York. No, New York, we don't right. need another that kind of enterprise. We've got right. enough
1: problems." <laughs>
0: so they they, were they,
1: were they, were they violent.
0: uh they not originally not at the time, and when they started to be, that's when Bosco said, "No, don't, don't do that right. you know stop right. and uh the fellow uh who I'm referring to uh had great respect for Bosco still has great respect for Bosco, right. and uh, when Bosco uh said, "No, uh I talked to Stan, he said. Please don't do this, and I agreed. Don't do this, and so they immediately right. stopped. They didn't do it.
1: Right? You know, that's one of the myths of uh, of organized crime. Is you have to be violent to be successful. I mean, I did a book on on Ike Atkinson. He never carried a gun, and you know, he, he was dealing with some, some of the most uh, violent gangsters on the East Coast. And Jesus, you know, didn't uh, he had a gun, but he but he never used it. You know, he didn't no. believe in violence.
0: Well, same all. thing with. Uh, with punches, dead. Of course, they were never in the mob. They uh, were yeah. just just themselves. And their motto was, "No one gets hurt as long as there's yeah. no guns, no violence, and no one gets hurt. It's just third degree burglary. <laughs> so, what if it's a yeah. million dollars a diamond? It's still third degree burglary. No violence, no human contact. You give a fake name. Exactly. You release them personal recognizance, and next time they get you, you use another fake name. <laughs> yeah,
1: know? yeah. On that. And you know you have to dig, dig deep to uh, figure out if later killed anybody. Um, you know he may have killed somebody on the Bahamas. There was this yacht that uh, uh, they, they um, was it was empty and it was floating in the uh, in the ocean. And uh, they they speculate that the the couple which who disappeared were were killed by later. But really, there's uh, really nothing um, really violent in his in his uh, in his uh, career.
0: Yeah, that's just uh, very similar with uh, my buddy Punch. As long as he was working with his dad, which the motto was no one gets hurt, everything was fine. But any he get in an argument with his dad and he go up on his own and start hanging out with these other guys, yeah. <laughs> things would go yeah. off the rails, you know. Yeah.
1: Someone but would you get know, hurt. I, I can never be a criminal because you get caught. I yeah, mean, that,
0: that's the problem yeah. with it.
1: it I mean, that that is an, an inevitable. You're going to get caught. Like, you can count, um, I could count the number of, people that I've encountered in my research that have gotten away with it, or supposedly like Matthews, for example, he disappeared and he may, he may not even be alive, but I mean, you can count on one hand, the number of people that got away with it.
0: The other thing that bothers caught. me, Ron, I'm sure you probably noticed this yourself. Let's say you got, let's say you have a very ethical, honest, kind drug dealer. All right. And let's say you got a real sleaze bag, evil ass drug dealer. If that evil-ass drug dealer gets busted, he's going to rat on who? The honest, Um, ethical guy. And who's going to go to prison? Not the bad guy, the good guy.
1: That's what happened to uh, Jesus. You know, he he had gotten out of the trade in in England, and uh, he was enjoying his retirement uh, with his money and all that. And then uh, one day he went to see this uh, this, uh, fellow uh, uh, trafficker, and... uh, uh, he was a money launder, actually, and uh, he was bragging or, or, or saying, "What a great guy this real Mr. Big is!" You know who he was and all that. Finally, Jesus couldn't help himself. He says, "I'm the guy. I'm Mr. Big," and all this. And a couple months later, a guy was busted by the authorities, and he turned in um, in um, Jesus. Yeah, you know, as, as being the big mastermind, and uh, that started off an investigation. Which they, they tell me, I interviewed some of the, the detectives, British detectives that uh, investigated um, uh, Jesus. Two hundred and fifty—that's how many there were people involved with trying to bring down Jesus. Wow! You tell me, you tell me, you're not going to get taken down when you have that many people. No, you know, after you.
0: And and even if there's no evidence, they'll they'll make some.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's the that's
0: the, that's the problem. Well, we had one fellow on the show, and I, we, of course we had Seth Ferrante, who was, you know, the, the U.S. Marshals were after him for selling marijuana. Yeah, he years, didn't he? Yeah, uh, and then you had this other fellow whose name I don't remember who was on the show who uh, was just traveling with the Grateful Dead uh, selling LSD at all their concerts, and he had got out of the business entirely. He was, you know, yeah. totally clean doing something else. Fitz coming to arrest him for stuff he'd done, you know, before. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he was totally out of it because someone ratted him yeah. out to get out to, to yeah. you know, we'll, we, we won't send you to prison if you'll give us three other people.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, you know law enforcement's always slow at the beginning. You know, it looks like the traffickers are, are, are getting away with it, but they eventually catch up. You know, they they got too, much, uh, too, too many resources in order to bring down, uh, that could bring down uh, a, a gangster. And and it's, it amazes me. Ever.
0: I had a guy who's gone now, but he came to me with a bullet with my name on it. And I, I didn't know how many people knew about that. But a few months later, I get a call from uh, the ATF, wants to interview me. They bring me in and said, is it true that so-and-so had a bullet with your name on it? And I said, sure is. <laughs> And they said, We thought so. You know, he's not even supposed to have a weapon. He's a convicted felon, let alone be going around with a bullet with your name on it. (laughs) Yeah. And how they knew about that, uh, I don't know how they knew. I didn't tell them, but someone else told them.
1: Does that that, that
0: scare you? Well, no, because I thought the guy was an ass anyway. I mean, the thing about being a true crime writer, and I'm sure you you know, I, I wasn't a true crime writer yet in those days. But they say, if you start getting death threats, you know you're on the right track. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for true. Now, I'm sure you probably had him yourself. One yeah, time yeah. Or another. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even had a crooked cop come and threaten me. Yeah. And I didn't know he was a crooked cop until he came and threatened me. Right. What did th- he say to you? Well, uh, he said, you know, uh, if you're you keep going over to so-and-so's house, and I busted him a few years ago. And uh, if you're there and I come in and I have to do what I have to do, and I go, what the hell is this guy's problem? Why is he on my ass like this? Turned out he thought that I was aware of his corruption and I was going to expose him. I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't going to expose him. But who knew was my daughter. <laughs> my daughter knew. Yes. But she never told me. She said, oh, Dad, uh, yeah, he uh, took... Uh, a kilo of whatever, an ounce of cocaine out of the evidence room and gave it to his mistress. <laughs> she knew about it. Ever? I didn't. Busted? And uh, that's why he was on my case. Did uh, why you was ever sm- bust it? Huh? Did they ever bust it? Did you ever bust it? Yep. The cops finally booted him off the force.
1: Right. How long ago this this
0: happen? Uh, what, 20, 20, some years ago. Wow. More wow. than that. But, uh, yeah, I was doing it. That's why I tell true crime writers, never investigate a case in your hometown where you live. <laughs> well, you did
2: a bunch in, uh, you know, in Seattle. Huh? You did a bunch out of Seattle.
0: Well, I, yeah, but they, did. you know, it wasn't, they weren't contemporaneous. They weren't where I was living with the, uh, you know, uh, although I did get some uh, attorneys told me some interesting stuff. Because I did a, a book about it. I talked about this one particular uh, guy that was so upset with the prosecutor and with conduct that he became prosecutor. And then I had an attorney say, that's interesting, that guy was one of the most corrupt prosecutors ever. And he became a prosecutor because he was mad at the other prosecutor for being corrupt. (laughs) Ron, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, let's watch that TV show
2: with your show. What's the name of the the show again? (laughs) I thought we were just
1: getting started. (laughs) What's the name of the show? uh perezo blanco a white paradise white paradise it's on vicks like
0: the vapor rub Except with uh, without, the okay. without the menthol uh, <laughs> yeah without the menthol thank, thank you thank ron you